How Emily Weiss Built Glossier from a Blog to a Billion Dollar Beauty Brand, originally published August 27th, 2023. Emily Weiss, the founder of Glossier, turned her popular blog into the gloss into a billion dollar beauty brand. It took less than nine years. In the process, she created one of the darling direct-to-consumer companies, one with a cult-like following. How'd she do it? How'd she transform from a 15-year-old intern at Ralph Lauren to the founder of a billion-dollar company? There's a lot to unpack. Let's get to it. Early days. Emily Weiss grew up in Wilton, Connecticut, where her father was an executive at Pitney Bowes and her mother was a homemaker. She described herself as really weird and a theater nerd growing up with a love for animals as well, having a number of different pets, from iguanas to turtles to guppies. More importantly for our story today, she was interested in clothes from a young age. Whether that was the butterfly costume she made for a school play or her imitation clueless outfit she wore to school, she even wrote a letter to Vogue as a 7th grader. I wrote in and said, thank you for showing young women how to wear short skirts in a classy way. Signed, Emily Weiss, Wilton, Connecticut. When they published it, I died. This interest in fashion would eventually lead to deeper involvement in the beauty industry and, eventually, the power of storytelling. But how'd she find her way into the industry in the first place? Through a neighbor who Emily babysat for and who one day she found out worked for Ralph Lauren. It was like, I like your kid and all, but what I really want is to work at Ralph Lauren, Emily said. Emily started a summer internship at Ralph Lauren when she was 15 and certainly made the most of it. Here's Emily. I proved myself to be very valuable. You have to be so many things. You have to be a sponge. You have to be respectful. You have to roll up your sleeves. I really earned my right to be there. I was just like, put me to work. I love work. She ended up interning for two summers and absolutely loved it, but she wasn't a great student. I went to NYU and majored in studio art. NYU is very competitive, and I was not a good student in high school, so the only way I thought I had a shot in hell of getting in was applying to the studio art program, because I heard that was easier. It's just like another founder I recently wrote about, Dave Portnoy of Barstool Sports, and how he got into Michigan by applying to the nursing school. And these entrepreneurs, I tell you, just like Paul Graham described, being relentlessly resourceful. Yes, this is a small thing, finding a different way into the school of your choice. But it's an early sign of their willingness to do things differently. For Emily, getting into NYU and, more importantly, being in New York proved important. She got an internship at Teen Vogue while in college, working three days a week in a number of different departments. And it was during this time she would famously be called Super Intern on the MTV show The Hills. And her dream around that time? One day becoming an editor-in-chief aspiring to the likes of Anna Wintour, who has been the editor-in-chief at Vogue since 1988. After graduating from NYU in 2007, Emily had a couple of roles at Condé Nast, working at W for eight months, and then at Vogue, during which time she started the blog that would become the foundation of her beauty empire. Into the Gloss In June 2010, Emily published her first beauty article in Vogue. She was hooked right away. It was a total unlock moment. I was like, God, I love this. How fun is it to write about beauty, to talk about beauty? I just kind of caught the bug. That summer, while at a beach in Connecticut with her family, she conceived the idea for a beauty blog, Into the Gloss. I decided to start Into the Gloss in August 2010. I had the idea on a beach with my family in early August to start a beauty blog. 
I wanted to start this new conversation around product that was more through the lens of personal style rather than beauty coming from a product or launch-driven perspective. Really talking about the best of beauty as it relates to women's routines, women's opinions, as women's individual unique beauty thumbprints. Emily spent about $1,000 on a Canon DSLR camera and a domain for intothegloss.com, creating the blog on WordPress. The first post went live in September 2010, and Emily's top shelf column, chronicling the grooming routines of famous people and others, quickly grew in popularity. For context, Instagram launched in October 2010, which Emily would soon take advantage of. Reflecting later in 2017 about launching the site, Emily talked about how she thought about the site in the early days, from the content to the technology platform. Here's Emily. First, I created what, in retrospect, was sort of a content calendar, coming up with different franchises of content that I was interested in creating, everything from naming the top shelf, the top shelf, and deciding that it would, would be long first-person accounts of women's beauty routines, down to things like The Review and The Professional, the different franchises that people have come to know and love. Then it was coming up with a name. In terms of actually starting the site, finding a camera and having a photographer friend teach me how to use it, my friends letting me shoot them and getting better at that, then hiring someone to build the site and design the site, and that was that. What's so interesting about the evolution of technology and different platforms is that if I were starting all over again today, maybe you wouldn't necessarily start with a website. It's interesting, all the different formats and mediums content can take and it is taking, like Instagram. Into the Gloss is more than a blog even at this point. Even then, if you think about it, what is a blog if not a social platform? There are comments, there's a two-way conversation, we consider Into the Gloss our single largest social media platform. You have X number of millions of visitors every single month. And how did Emily find people to feature on the blog? I definitely was in a great position to attract people to be featured on the blog. Now, whether or not they said yes, I want to take an hour of my day to go be featured on an unknown site with an unknown reporter was a different question. But I was sitting on the floor of photo shoots with like a 15-year-old Carly Kloss tying her shoes. Now she's a supermodel with 9 million Instagram followers. Of course, not everyone said yes to being interviewed by Emily. She mentioned how 80% of people said no, but the people she was able to feature helped her get more people to feature. And remember, she was still working at full-time at Vogue at the time, so she made time for Into the Gloss when she could. I was like 4 a.m. to 8 a.m. on Into the Gloss, transcribing, posting, or editing, and then on the weekends, I would do all the shoots and the interviews. It was a slow build at first, but eventually she landed her first sponsor, Lancome, with a $5,000 brand deal. Carrie Diamond shared how it went down. I've worked on a number of projects with Into the Gloss. When I was vice president of public relations at Lancome, the brand was the first to advertise with Into the Gloss. Emily cold called us and, via her charm and tenacity, convinced us to meet with her. She gave us a sneak peek at the site, and we were so impressed. In terms of content and design, it was incredibly sophisticated. The $5,000 was also more money than Emily had ever seen in her bank account before. She stayed at Vogue for another year after starting Into the Gloss until October 2011, when it became apparent that she had to choose one of them to go work full-time on. With the growth of Into the Gloss, she chose to go all-in. Then, in 2012, she got Nick Axelrod, a former L employee whom she previously worked across the hall from, to join her as the editorial director. Nick would help Emily grow the site from around 100,000 unique monthly visitors to 1 million by the time he left in July 2014. 
what helped fuel that growth? Going from three posts per week when it was just Emily to three to four posts per day. Into the Gloss would have more than 200,000 unique visitors per month by early 2012 and four and a half million monthly page views. A November 2012 profile in the business of fashion explained why Emily's content stood out. Indeed, with just a few questions, Weiss has the uncanny ability to strip away the surface and uncover what daily beauty rituals and priorities reveal about an individual, drawing out interesting personal narratives that go much deeper than product recommendations. It's the natural curiosity behind this approach, alongside the site's impeccably professional aesthetics that have made Into the Gloss one of the most compelling new voices in the fashion and beauty blogosphere, with the potential to grow into a full-fledged media business for the digital age. As Into the Gloss grew, it was also building a base of avid readers. Here's a bit from Vanity Fair. More than that, as Into the Gloss drew an avid readership, it also amassed potential customers, beauty obsessives who were all too willing to discuss what kind of products they longed for. In other words, prime market research. Weiss notes that the beauty conglomerates had a top-down way of communicating via celebrity ads or department store placements. She knew from the flood of comments on social media that her largely millennial fans preferred a more conversational approach. Before the phrase direct-to-consumer rolled off the tongue, that's exactly what Weiss had in mind. As the readership for Into the Gloss grew, Emily had plenty of directions she could have gone with the site, but she chose to stay focused. When I started the site, people would ask me, what's your five-year plan? And I started freaking out because I thought, I don't really know, because blogging, especially at this level, where it's a real business, is still such a new medium. I've been pitched a lot of things, from guest blogging to brands to designing makeup collections, but I think right now, the number one thing is focusing on the quality and breadth of our content. Expanding the website and our audience is what's most important. In 2013, that would all change. Starting Glossier. With the hundreds of thousands of potential customers visiting into the gloss each month, Emily had the foundation to build her own beauty brand. In 2013, she took the first step towards making that happen by going out to raise capital to create her own products. She thought she needed a million dollars to start Glossier. What was this number based on? Absolutely nothing, as she'd reflect back on the early days of Glossier. And raising venture capital proved challenging. After numerous rejections, she finally was able to land her first investor, Kirsten Green of Forerunner Ventures, and ended up closing a $2 million round of funding. The funding would go towards 8 to 10 new hires across design, technology, and editorial. Emily's initial goal with Glossier was simple. Create a beauty brand she'd actually want to wear a sweatshirt of. I went through the exercise of looking across 20 or 10 beauty brands, thinking about whether or not I would buy that sweatshirt, wear that sweatshirt. I just kept coming up with the answer. No, said Emily. Obviously, that was a simple goal for the type of brand she wanted to create. When it came to creating the actual products, here's how she thought about it. Having a more holistic view of how a company can really develop a, and operate and all the different components that go into making an amazing consumer product, that's been incredibly eye-opening to me. The product development process in and of itself is incredibly complicated. The lead times for physical products are long, sometimes anywhere from six months at the shortest to two years if you're working on something like a sunscreen or an OTC product with an active ingredient that might otherwise be prescription. 
understanding and respecting the craftsmanship, the chemistry, and the alchemy that goes into creating a beauty product that hopefully will stand the test of time and last decades, like Clinique Dramatically Different Moisturizer, or as I mentioned, Maybelline Great Lash, these are formulas and products that have been global products for decades. I think we have an incredible responsibility to the customer and to women to only put out the most amazing, thoughtful, innovative products that are going to grow with her over her life. Emily was meticulous about the details around Glossier's October 6, 2014 launch. There's a post as well you can link to and see at justforgrind.com. Having embraced Instagram soon after it launched in 2010, she had built her personal Instagram to 75,000 and into the Glossier's followers to more than 186,000 by 2014. It makes sense. Everyone around her was on Instagram multiple times a day. The Glossier Instagram account, which Emily had teased over a few weeks, had 13,000 followers by the time her Glossier products were available online, jumping to 18,000 only a day later. She teased Glossier's brand for four weeks before the official launch, with the Wall Street Journal detailing her preparations and how she worked with influencers as well. The pictures on Glossier's feed have a carefree, I woke up like this feel. But the collection is actually a carefully narrated story Miss Wise put together over Labor Day in the Hamptons. She gathered and printed hundreds of images that inspired the brand, including a shot from the movie Clueless, and combined them with photos she took. I mapped it all out, laid them down the floor, and came up with a cadence that felt like it would work, she says. She established the feed with roughly three dozen images posted on September 3rd. Captions were minimal, with no mention of the products. Meanwhile, Ms. Weiss seated digital influencers with Glossier-branded swag, including stickers, lighters, and sweatshirts. Model Carly Kloss got nearly 27,000 likes for an Instagram post of herself in a Glossier sweatshirt, which the brand reposted. Initially, Glossier had four different products available for sale, a moisturizer, a sheer foundation, face mist, and a lip balm called Balm.com. Their tagline was, skin first, makeup second, smile always. When Emily went out to raise her seed round of funding, all the venture capitalists questioned whether anyone would buy beauty products online. Glossier would be a direct-to-consumer company and investors had their doubts. Emily quickly suppressed these concerns after Glossier's strong launch and, a month later, Emily announced another round of funding, this time $8.4 million Series A led by Thrive Capital in November 2014. By this time, Emily is leading a team of 25 people. The next year, Glossier would launch Boybrow in October, one of their most popular products. And Emily would ask a simple question into the gloss. What's your dream face wash? This customer feedback would lead to another one of Glossier's most popular products, launched in 2016. With these two products, as well as others, Glossier's growth would skyrocket, but not without a few challenges. Growing pains. Boybrow was an instant hit for Glossier, so much so that Glossier sold out of its inventory in a number of months, growing a 10,000-person waitlist for the product. When Milky Jelly Cleanser, the product of Emily's simple question, was released in January 2016, a similar product obsession ensued for customers. 
The man was so crazy that Glossier had to write an apology for why they were sold out of as many as 40% of their products, explaining how they had sold a year's worth of products in the first three months of 2016. Just crazy. By mid-2016, they had 60,000 customers sign up to be notified when the products were back in stock. Wild. Emily had no idea the demand would be that crazy, but it was obvious this was an issue. A good issue to have, but an issue nonetheless. So Emily brought in a director from Apple, someone with experience in supply chain management to help with the situation. Then in November 2016, Emily announced Glossier's $24 million Series B, led by IVP in a blog post on Into the Gloss, detailing her fundraising experience to date, including her plans with the raise. Here's Emily. Now, something Henry Davis, our president and COO and my fundraising roadshow partner in crime, always says is that money raised isn't success. It's fuel for success. And this is true. This cash infusion will help us see through our vision of Glossier becoming a truly global community. That means launching products in two new categories, opening permanent retail, see photo above, more on that soon, and yes, finally going international. We'll continue to invest in new technology because we think every woman should have the ability to be connected through her beauty, knowledge, opinions, products, and routine. Emily has a team of more than 55 people at this point, and in December, they opened their first permanent retail location on the sixth floor at 123 Lafayette Street in New York City, calling it the Glossier Showroom. The next year, in February 2017, Emily was asked if she could have launched Glossier before Into the Gloss. Sure, we could be like a lot of consumer brands that start blogs after they start their business, but in our case, I think Glossier is still very much a content company. I think about our products themselves as pieces of content. The same year, Glossier launched a rep program allowing people to get compensated for recommending Glossier products. Here's Emily. We're trying to make it right before we scale it. I don't want to comment too much on what it, where it's going, but suffice to say that it's really outperforming our wildest expectations. By September, Glossier had 110 employees in three countries, and the next month they officially announced their international plans. The next year, Emily and Glossier would reach a huge milestone. $1.2 billion. By early 2018, Glossier's showroom was generating, according to Emily, more sales per square foot than the average Apple store. And by this time, their 22nd product, the Glossier U fragrance, had launched. The store also was getting 50,000 visitors per month, just showing how popular it was in the city. In 2018, Glossier had made more than $100 million in revenue and had its fourth year in a row of triple-digit revenue growth. By January of the following year, Glossier had 200 full-time employees and 100 part-time employees with 29 products. Then, in March, they announced a $100 million Series D round of funding led by Sequoia Capital. The round valued Glossier at $1.2 billion. And Emily's ambition was way beyond beauty, as she told Vanity Fair when asked about what a hotel, something she's wanted to create, would look like. I'm not allowed to think about that right now. That's not what the Series D funding is for. Mainly our business will be a beauty for the foreseeable future. It's just about reaching more people. We have very, very low brand awareness, even in the United States, but we're still young. If you look at a company like Nike, I mean, that's what is possible for our future. 
It's just about how quickly can we get there and in what order. To help Glossier achieve those ambitions, Emily hired Melissa Emer, a former VP of Sales and Marketing at Amazon, to be COO in September. Around this time, she also hired a new CTO, CFO, and Chief People Officer. And yet, not everything worked out well for Glossier. In March 2019, Emily launched Glossier Play, a brand of dialed-up beauty extras that was a colorful departure from the typical Glossier brand. Within a year, Emily hit pause in the sub-brand. But why did it flop? A big part of it was how it showed a disregard for sustainability with excessive packaging and a non-biodegradable glitter in one of the products. Customers were less than enthused. And shortly after, the pandemic hit. Pandemic struggles. By 2020, Glossier had more than 200 employees and 3 million customers. They also had 36 different products, significantly less than other beauty brands. Why? Glossier's approach of creating one best-in-class product in whatever category they're going after. But then, in August 2020, an anonymous letter from Glossier retail employees came out during the Black Lives Matter protest with all the shortcomings of Glossier, alleging a racist, toxic culture at the retail stores. The letter demanded that changes be made, and Glossier's image took a hit. There was a great article in the Business of Business that detailed some of the effects, seeing Glossier's Instagram followers decline and Twitter followers level off, on top of a decline in the business in 2021. According to Bloomberg, Glossier's sales were down 26% in 2021. But Emily seemed to have weathered the storm, overcoming a global crisis and the employee turmoil. Then, she had to make a difficult decision about the future of a company. Difficult decisions. In early 2022, Emily admitted a mistake. She had gotten distracted from the core of Glossier's beauty business. With that realization, she laid off more than 80 corporate employees, mostly from her tech team in January. While Emily once had grand plans for a technology platform to connect her beauty-enthused customers, it never came to fruition. Then, in May 2022, Emily announced she was stepping down as CEO, moving into a role as executive chairwoman. In August, she introduced Kylie Leahy as a CEO. Here's Emily. I will always be Glossier's founder, but a CEO is a champion that a company looks to, to lead it into tomorrow. From my observation, the greatest companies in the world understand this distinction and make sure that the CEO seat is always filled with the right person to take it where it needs to go for its brightest next chapter. Every year, I reflect on Glossier, and specifically the ever-evolving role of CEO in our young company's life cycle. I check in and ask myself the same question. Am I the best person to lead the company for where we are and where we're headed? And if not, who is? This year, as often has been the case with some of our proudest and most pivotal moments at Glossier, a person inspired a new direction. Her name is Kylie Leahy, and I'm thrilled to announce that she's stepping up into the CEO role. In more than a year since, Glossier has made a number of changes. One of the big ones, working with the third-party retailers. Glossier is now available in all 600 Sephora stores in the US and Canada, something that customers have been begging for. And as far as what's next for Emily, even though she stepped down as CEO of Glossier, she's still very involved with the company and says she's not going anywhere. It's remarkable what she built, She's clearly an incredible entrepreneur, even if she had some missteps. 
and it'll be fun to see if she stays with Glossier or decides to eventually start something new. Emily's wisdom on what she wishes she had known before starting into the gloss. I wish I had known to be a little more patient. I wish I had started meditating sooner. I think there's an urgency in youth. I was 25 when I started into the gloss. Not every fire is the end of the world. To put things in perspective, but then again, hindsight's 2020. I certainly developed more tolerance to risk and more tolerance around uncertainty. More resilience, I would say. More grit through the trials and tribulations that we've had over the years. And finally, on not being afraid to go after what you want. I've never been afraid to work really hard. I've never been afraid to take chances or go for it. Maybe I just have thick skin and I'm not so concerned about rejection. The more fashionable you are, maybe the more you are concerned about how people are perceiving you. And I'm never afraid to cold call someone if I'm interested in shooting them for Into the Gloss. And I'm never afraid to pitch a great idea to a brand if I think there's a great advertising opportunity between us. And I think I've always had that. I'm just not afraid to go for it. That's Emily Weiss, founder of Glossier and Into the Gloss. Thanks for listening.